It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. The community is stunned after they learn that hiker mom out on a very well-known trail, the Ma and Pa Trail, ends up brutally murdered and I think sexed attacked as well. But in the last days, a major break in the case in the search for the killer of a mother of five so-called hiker mom, Rachel Morin. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. We have a very good idea. Who is the perp? First of all, take a listen to our friend, Colonel William Davis. DNA evidence is, is part of nearly every modern day investigation. And in Rachel's case, DNA evidence was collected by our forensic services unit. That DNA was analyzed by the Maryland State Police and it was ran through the National CODIS system. DNA evidence is, I mean, this DNA evidence has come back as a match tied to a home invasion and, insult, and an assault of a young girl in Los Angeles this past March. Unfortunately, that suspect has not been positively identified, but he did leave behind his DNA. Based on the DNA evidence, we consider the individual in the video we obtained from the Los Angeles Police Department and that we are about to show you on our TV screens to be the person that murdered Rachel Morin on August 5th. DNA. Isn't it amazing? We actually have someone's genetic identification, deoxyribonucleic acid. It's a genetic fingerprint, but we don't have the perp. We don't know his name. We know everything about him because of his DNA, but we don't have him. And why do we think he is Rachel's killer? What more do we know? Listen. Based on our analysis of, of this video and witness observations, we believe the suspect to be approximately five foot nine, 160 pounds, and of Hispanic descent. If you have any information about this suspect, we are asking you to please call our detectives at our tip line. And the tip line number is 410-836-7788. And we've also established a dedicated tip email address. And that email address is rmtips at hartfordsheriff.org. Again, that's rm, as in Rachel Morin, tips at hartfordsheriff.org. It's killing me to know that we know so much about the man believed to have murdered this beautiful young mom of five, but he's connected to a home invasion assault in L.A. over 2,000 miles away. Joining me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But first, take a listen to our cut 76 from the Harford Sheriff's Office. We, we collected DNA from our crime scene. Uh, the Maryland State Police analyzed that crime, that, that DNA for us. 
ran it through the national coders system, and that came back as a match to, to uh, the crime that occurred in Los Angeles, where they had recovered DNA from this person that you saw in the video. The video that we watched, what did it tell us about? I mean, what Los Angeles police released it to you, but what is it? Is it at his home? Is it at a scene of a crime? That is at a home, and that is the suspect leaving the home, the scene of the crime there. And that was a home invasion and assault, you said, right? Correct. Of a girl, little girl, is that what you said? A young girl. So I'm going to leave it at a young girl. I don't want to talk about the family there. But uh, it was a young girl in the house that got assaulted. We know so much. He's within our grasp, but we don't have a name. And also, interesting, we don't have a face. Again, I'm Nancy Grace, and this is Crime Stories. Thanks for being with us. Joining us right now, Sheriff Jeffrey Geller, Sheriff of the Harford County Sheriff's Office, and you can find him at harfordsheriff.org. Sheriff, thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to get to the who, what, where, why, when, but does it just drive you crazy? You know so much about this guy. You know uh, his origin. You know his height. You know all about him, his very DNA, but you don't know who he is. You can't put out an APB on, you know, Charles Madsen. You can't do it. You don't have a name. Is that driving you crazy? Uh, sure, yeah, Nancy, and uh, thanks for having me on. And, and yes, it, you know, it's what our detectives are working so hard on. It's what's driving our community crazy. Um, it, it is frustrating, but uh, the reason the reason we appreciate the opportunity to be on any media is because someone out there does know that person's name. Someone's going to look at that video. Someone's going to look at the still shots from the video. Um, and, and I'm as frustrated as everybody else. I read the comments on social media. Um, where's the other side of his face? If, if we had it, we would put it out there. Uh, we just haven't obtained it yet. Hopefully there's some additional video footage that will come our way. But off of what's there, off of his build, off of his walk, off of his um, appearance, there's someone out there in the world who knows exactly who that person is. And we need that person to tell us so that we can get a match on the DNA and put this monster behind bars. This is reminiscent of a case now famous, or should I say infamous, the disappearance of Jennifer Kessie, a beautiful young girl. When her parents got to her condo, when she didn't show up for work, they see that she's just gotten out of the shower. It's still damp. The towels are damp. Her clothes for the day are laid out. She liked to lay her clothes out on the bed before she went to work. But no Jennifer. An exhaustive search has ensued since Jennifer went missing. And a video emerges. Yes, a video of an unknown male walking directly along in front of her condo, but no face. Take a listen to our cut 8A, our friends from CBS. The person could not be identified because the surveillance video captured a photo every three seconds. And each time the figure's face was obstructed by a fence post. In 2017, the Kessies recruited private investigator Michael Toretta to help them conduct their own investigation. Toretta learned from speaking with people who lived in Jennifer's complex that construction workers were living in an empty apartment just across from Jennifer. All this evidence, even a video, but just at the right moment, the camera panned and didn't get 
the face. Joining me, in addition to special guest, Sheriff Jeffrey Geller, Vincent Hill, investigative reporter, Fox 45, Baltimore, interesting, former police officer and PI, author of Playbook to a Murder. Tell me all about everything you know about getting the DNA and about this video that has emerged out of L.A. Well, Nancy, first I can say when we were watching the presser in the newsroom, it was a WTF moment, if you will. A guy from L.A. or wherever he's from, his DNA found at Rachel's crime scene. Total shock. And of course, our viewers want to know, well, why do we not know this guy's name? Because we have his DNA. But a lot of people don't understand if he's never been arrested before, you're not going to have his name, even though his DNA may be in CODIS. He may be walking out doing other crimes and no one knows who he is. Vincent, hold on. Hold on. I got to follow up on what you're saying. Don't lose your thought. Sheriff Geller, please jump in whenever you have a thought. With me, Jessica Garth, Chief of the Special Victims Family Violence Unit. Prince George County veteran trial lawyer, Jessica, you hear people, and I'm afraid that includes jurors, that say, well, you got a fingerprint. Can't you match it up? You can get a perfectly beautiful, perfect, pristine, latent print. In other words, the one found at the scene, the latent print. But unless you have something to compare it to, you can't get a name. Here's a good example. Like DNA in Coburger, there's three unknown male DNA profiles found in and around the home where the four students were slain. But they've tried and tried. You got to have something to match it to in order to present that to a jury. If the perp has never been arrested, is not in the system, hasn't had to give a fingerprint for any reason, there's nothing to compare it Two. So, yes, we've got this guy's DNA that we think murdered Rachel Morin, leaving her five children without a mother. They've been split up and gone to different homes, but we can't get the guy. Explain. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, we kind of refer to it as the CSI effect when we're trying cases that jurors expect that we're going to have, you know, all kinds of DNA evidence, fingerprint evidence, and that there will be an immediate uh, match. It's going to pop up on the screen and it's going to tell us, you know, who committed the crime. Um, But you're exactly right. You know, you have to have a suspect to compare it to. So what our DNA analysts do is they develop um, what's called a profile. And I'll leave it to the the doctors to explain that a little bit more. But we take that profile and we compare it to the known profile of a suspect. And when those two profiles match, you know, our experts give us a statistic of a degree of certainty that it is the same person who left this DNA. And then as lawyers, it's our job to explain to the jury that, Uh, you know, the statistic means that this is the person who left this DNA on the scene. But if you don't have that person to compare it to, then you just, you know, your, your investigators are just trying to track down who they can draw that profile from. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Back to you, Vincent Hill, reporter, Fox 45, Baltimore. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, a lot of viewers are trying to track down why do we not know this guy's name i mean i've seen the comments all over facebook or social media and again if he hasn't been arrested it's like i told my newsroom if he hasn't been arrested this guy is free to walk around until he does something even more drastic more horrific and he's actually caught but to go back to something else we only have a side profile in the back of his head i can tell you for a fact that my mother, even at 50 years old, could spot my head from a crowd. So 
someone knows who this guy is just by that quick picture of him walking out of this house in Los Angeles. And Nancy, the sheriff, I, I, I agree with Vincent a hundred percent. That's what I said. And I, I, I think it's going to be, um, you know, opportunities like this to, to reach a large audience, to have people go to our social media page and look at this. Uh, I, I said in a few hours after we didn't have, you know, somebody in custody very quick that this is going to be solved through, uh, science and technology and um, the science part ha- has narrowed us down to this individual and I wish the technology had given us a better picture. Uh, we're still out there scouring and hopefully we can come up with one but this is what we have for now but I agree with Vincent 100%. Somebody knows somebody looks at that picture and they know exactly who this person is. Hey guys you know Dr. Bethany Marshall of course I agree with Sheriff Geller that pretty much goes you know unsaid and we we know i'm going to agree with him vincent hill i agree with you partially yes your mother may be able to pick your head out of a crowd i could pick out my children i could pick out my husband but what mom is going to turn in their child and what mom who is going to id some guy's head well you know what let me throw this to a shrink all right. Dr. Bethany Marshall is joining us, a psychoanalyst out of Beverly Hills at drbethanymarshall.com. Dr. Bethany, bottom line, if you can identify somebody's head, you're not turning them in. You know why? Because you're close to them. It's got to be a mother or a sister. Not going to turn them in unless they've got some very, unless they're like a cone head, uh, that with a very odd shaped head that co-workers can identify it's so true nancy you know th- this family well first of all this perp probably went straight to mommy's house after the commission of the crime because that's what they always do i don't know about that because this is in typically yes they go run to mommy's isn't that true sheriff uh jeffrey geller when a guy bs bond forfeiture doesn't show up to court i always say go to mommy's house and look under the bed and look in her closet. She took him in. That's where he is. They always go to the auntie, the grandma, the mommy. That's typically true. No, I would just say I agree with you. You know, be it a mom or be it family. You know, people when they're they're in trouble. Yeah, that's that's where they turn to, and that's who they trust will hide. Um, but this person, this person should not be hidden. This person is a threat to every single person on the planet. Until we figure out where they are, I'll say on the planet because. Uh, wherever he is, whether he's still here in our community or he's moved to, you know, next surrounding state or he's came back to L.A., he poses a threat. Anybody that would commit these kind of crimes in both the L.A. And, and, and our homicide here, um, he poses a threat to anyone who's around, family member or not, and he needs to be taken off the street. You know what? You left out a big swath of area between L.A. and Bel Air, Maryland, not Bel Air, California. All in between. Now, how the hey does he get? That's what we counted up, Jackie. What was it? 2,600 miles? Yes. 2,669 miles from Maryland to LA. How the hey did he get that far? And I'm looking at his picture. Guys, I assume everybody has looked at the stills or the video. Let's talk about what we see in this picture. Number one, do you see the hairstyle? I guarantee you he's either got Still that hairstyle or something similar where part of his head is shaved from like the neck up and then he's got like a fake mullet going down the back. There's going to be some type of a unique hairstyle. Mark my words. Okay. He looks to me between, um, I'm going to go with 19 to 29. 
Do you agree with that or disagree, Sheriff Gaylor? Yeah, we, we put it at 20 to 30, so right in that same ballpark. Um, but you're, the, the haircut's very distinctive. It's been it's been the number one source of the tips that we've received. Um, and, and I would ask you know anybody hearing this, and if they have a tip, you, you said the numbers earlier, but um, we have a special email box, RM Tips, uh, Rachel Morin Tips, RM Tips at HartfordSheriff.org. Um, to let us know, but that hairstyle is certainly distinct. And, and, and I think if you look at his walk, his you know how he carries himself, uh, you know he's, he's a muscular young man, um, and five nine, one hundred sixty pounds. Again, somebody has seen him. Somebody has maybe been at the gym with him or or working a job with him. Somebody knows who he is on that picture. And Nancy, not only that, but he's a menacing figure. And even though the family may circle the wagons, just like remember Brian Landry's family, they knew possibly that he had murdered Gabby Petito. But did they turn him in? Did they assist Gabby Petito's family? No. They circled the right wagons and they protected their own son. But with this perp, he, because he's menacing, because he's a creeper, I'm sure that there's women he's dated, people he went to high school with, people he works with, who knows that there's something off or wrong about these guys, right? Even um, like with Brian Koberger, all these people are coming forward now saying that he was uh, dominating other women, that he was a scary figure, that he was a bully. So there are plenty of people. I don't think we have to rely on the family to come forward because there are people in his circle who know something's wrong with him. Hey, guys, I want to find out. Vincent Hill, can you tell me what is he accused of doing in L.A. specifically? Well, Nancy, and I may get the share to correct me on this, but I believe there was some type of home invasion and assault of a young female inside that home in Los Angeles back in March of this year. Uh, but I defer to the sheriff on that, but I believe that's the information we received from the Los Angeles Police Department. Let's take a look at the video. He's opening up the door of the home of the victim. I think that he raped. He's leaving. He doesn't even have his shirt on. Man, could you at least get dressed before you leave it's in a a residential neighborhood it's in the evening don't know what time it's a female victim the mo is different because here he's gone into the home and he has i believe raped a female victim we're hearing assault but we know that there's dna and that makes me think that it's sperm so was it a rape, Sheriff Geller? Um, I'm not going to, because, um, you know, there's still part of the active investigation. Other than what we've released, which are spot on, uh, a home invasion with an assault, we're not um, covering, you know, we're, I, I'm not at liberty to go into any other details. Uh, but it certainly, you know, the, his actions there are similar, you know, to some of the MO that we have here. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Exactly. Okay. And I, of course, do not want to in in any way impede the investigation or harm the integrity of the investigation. So when you finally, God willing, get to trial, you can be accused of spouting out information that's privy to the case. We want to give our investigators every opportunity to, you know, to keep it to what the needs to be kept out of the public for right now. But while we still share what we can to help us bring right. this this person into custody. And, and, and again, you touched on the, the, the thing about traveling. We don't know whether he lives there and was just visiting out here or whether he visits, you know, was visiting out there when he committed this crime, that crime in March and lives out here or any combination thereof. He could live in Ohio and just have visited both places to commit these acts. So until we know who he is, 
We don't know what part of the country um, he is hanging his hat. No, Sheriff, I don't think he visited one of the two places just to commit the act. I think he's a predator. He happened to be in L.A. for whatever reason. I don't think he went there just to assault. I'll say assault because we don't know if it was a rape or a sodomy. We don't know if it was touch DNA somewhere in the home. Uh, but we know there was a home invasion and there was an assault on a female victim in L.A. and that there's DNA. We know that in Bel Air, Maryland, it's a completely different scenario, different MO, modus operandi, method of operation. He's out on a hiking trail. He sees a lone female, and I'm assuming the female in L.A. was alone. Don't know her age. Uh, but he sees a female alone, and he pounces. And he, I believe, raped Rachel Morin and murdered her. I know you're not going to tell me whether she was raped or not, but we're getting DNA from somewhere. Uh, plus, we know that she was naked and lying on her back. Or so we've been told. So, straight to Dr. Monty Miller, Director, Forensic DNA Experts, LLC, Specialist in Sex Assaults and Murder. Now, this is where he gets a lot of his training. Former Forensic Scientist for the Texas Department of Public Safety Crime Lab. Can I tell you how many thousands of DNA comparisons you do if you're at the crime lab? You can find him at ForensicDNAExperts.com. Dr. Monty Miller, thank you for being with us. You're hearing the facts as I am. Tell me what you think happened in L.A. and what you think happened in Maryland. Well, I think that, first of all, I'd like to commend the police departments, both of them, for doing the DNA and getting it out quickly. Amen, brother. You're so right about that. Go ahead. Yeah, we have so many cases that, that sit there for a while and, and they're not able to identify the person quickly when the second crime happens because the first lab hasn't finished. So, yeah, I mean, the crime labs oh, did a good job. Oh, you just gave me a horrible feeling. Remember Eliza Fletcher, the Memphis mom that was out jogging 4 a.m.? I think she had two children at home doing it all. And this perv grabs her, I believe rapes her, murders her. And he had actually committed another rape, but the DNA kid had been sitting on a shelf for like a year. And if he had been apprehended in that rape, Eliza Fletcher would be alive today. Well, yeah, and that's exactly what they did great in this case. You know, they they did the DNA, and so somebody didn't um, go at least unnoticed for a second crime across the country. So, but he has left his DNA, so that you know, there's a good indication that there was some DNA that they knew came from him inside that house, and that you know, oftentimes comes from a sexual assault because you know they have DNA that from sperm and, and, and they, that way they know that it's the perpetrator and not somebody else who visited that house. Um, so um, whatever it is, they're, they're confident that they got his DNA from that house. Um, it doesn't look like he's leaving in a hurry or that he's bloody or that he's injured. So um, it could have been touched DNA, but you know, there's a good chance that was a sexual assault. Um, and the same thing with, um, you know, the murder victim, Rachel Marin. You know, they might have gotten DNA off of the rock that that, that was found that, that he used to hit her, um, but that might have blood and other things on it. So a sexual assault is oftentimes the best case to get uh, a really good DNA profile because, you know, it came from the person who had sexual intercourse with the other person. So 
Um, you know, I think there's a good chance they're both sexual assaults if one of them is. You're hearing the voice of Dr. Monty Miller, director uh, at ForensicDNAExperts.com. Who was that jumping in? Uh, it was me, Sheriff. I, I was just going to say, you know, I, 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 and I hear, you know, a lot of speculation. I, I, again, I just wish I was in more of a position to be able to speak freely. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I've heard how the scene looks and this and that. I, I just want to be clear that we haven't released any of those investigative details. And uh, we know we know some of the information out there is accurate. We know some of it is not accurate. Um, and I wish I could clarify uh, which is which, but you're 100 percent right. I mean, but uh, DNA can be left in many different ways. Um, and, and I am thankful that uh, it was, you know, I'd rather, again, I'd rather have this guy's name and face. Uh, straight on, but I'm thankful that uh, LA detectives out there took that case seriously. They did a good investigation, which uh, you know uh, included the collection of DNA at the scene and has put, put back a uh, tie. You know, it, so much of policing used to be cops, just cops and robbers, but now without our civilian forensic experts and, and the people, the science part of this thing, uh, we'd be nowhere in this investigation, and that is uh, important to note. But again, I, I I hate to be the guest who kind of has the facts in his head but is not free to share them but that's unfortunately where i find myself as i as i listen to the other callers you know what's interesting uh i'm taking from what you said i'm interpreting that we got one of those facts wrong maybe it's the rock maybe she wasn't naked maybe she wasn't on her back maybe there wasn't a rape we got something wrong but we got something right but since the That's sheriff, true. Jeffrey Geller, refuses to play 21 questions with me, I'm going to go forward with what I do know. And you know what this is reminding me of, Jackie? Let's take a listen to our Cut 77. I think now it kind of leads us down the path that we believe this was a um, person that Rachel probably didn't know. Uh, maybe you, you could say potentially a random act of violence. Uh, and we're hoping that the community now can watch that video. And we also got still pictures that we're going to be putting out and that somebody can identify him. We don't have any clue where he could be. We don't even know if he's still in Hartford County or in the state of Maryland, because obviously in March he was in California. And then here in August, he was here in Maryland. So we don't know if he's still here or not. This is eerily reminiscent for various reasons of the Delphi murders of little Libby and Abby. And I'll tell you why. Take a listen to our cut nine, A, our friends at People Magazine. Police have announced that a widely circulated photo of the main suspect in a double homicide of two Indiana teenagers was taken by one of the victims before she was killed. On February 14th, the bodies of Liberty German and Abigail Williams were found one day after they were reported missing. At a press conference on Wednesday, police announced that Liberty not only took the photo of the male suspect, but she also recorded a video moments before her death that includes audio of a man talking, although officials are unsure whether the voice belongs to the suspect. You will recall with Abby and Libby, the two little girls murdered off the trestle bridge in Delphi, that there was wild speculation that there was a transient, someone that had come from out of town. We argued against that at the get-go because it's highly unlikely a transient would have known about that trestle bridge kind of tucked away out in the middle of nowhere. It didn't make sense. Now we're trying to figure out, does this guy caught on surveillance video on a ring camera, a doorbell cam in L.A., does he live in Bel Air, Maryland now? Is he a transient? If he is a transient, how did he know about this hiking trail? 
Now, isn't it true, Sheriff Geller, that the hiking trail butts up against apartments? Yes, the Mom Pa hiking trail um, is actually working on a, a new section of it that's going to connect it and make it around eight. I think it's about eight miles long total when it's finished. So there's a north section and a south section. This actually ha- happened on the south section, which is closer to the town of Bel Air. The, the county seat, very, very, very safe. Uh, in fact, I, I can't even remember when the last homicide um, in, in the town of Bel Air was. Uh, the, uh, uh, but it, it runs right behind our, the, the mall area, the big shopping area for the town. It runs from uh, 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 where she had parked her car, where Rachel had parked her car, is right behind one of the local breweries. Um, always uh, a lot of people there, a bunch of condos. And then goes down behind the mall and stuff and then finishes uh, at, at the big fields where we actually have our county fair every year. Um, it's a very, very popular, well-used, um, improved uh, trail from an old railroad system, the Mom Pa Railroad, um, that just gets a, gets a lot, a lot of activity. And to have something out there happen is just, you know, to have any crime out there happen is just so far outside the norm, much less something uh, so horrific as, as Rachel's homicide. Sheriff, are you gathering video surveillance from the brewery and anyone else in those apartments and homes that look onto the trail or onto the trailhead? Yeah, we, we have collected, investigators have collected all the video. Unfortunately, there is not video on the trail. It's actually the part of the trail. The trail is part of the uh, Hartford County Parks and Recs system. Um, they, they have announced, the uh, Parks and Recs have announced that they're going to put cameras along the trail now, which would be great, but we, unfortunately we didn't have them before. Um, but we've uh, also done uh, solicitations out in the public, social media, and through our robocall system, uh, asking people, you know, for video footage uh, around the time that Rachel went missing and up to where she was discovered. Um, because you know, we're hopeful as we pour through all this, investigators pour through all this video footage and stuff that we have been able to gather that we'll get a better picture of this individual, of this suspect, uh, and, and perhaps a vehicle or something like that. But, uh, you know, we do not have that at this moment. Reminiscent of another case that um, I worked with the victim's families, the family of Jennifer Ewan, beautiful mom, who would ride about a 50-mile bike trail multiple times a week. She was about 30-ish miles in on the Silver Comet Trail when she was attacked and murdered by Michael Ledford. Michael Ledford. Surrounding uh, the trail, there were a number of vantage points where you could see onto the trail, including apartments. And this guy, Ledford, had been scaring women and exposing himself and staring at them, surveilling them many times before Jennifer was murdered. So let me go to you, Dr. Bethany Marshall. I'm going to talk about why this trail, was he living in those apartments? Was he living on the trail as a transient in the woods? Because I know for a fact that a group of law enforcement, LE, were out in the woods, you know, many feet off the trail, huddled together looking at something. Did they find evidence someone had been living out there, tenting? You know, Eric Rudolph, who uh, was the Olympic bomber in Atlanta, then he bombed two abortion clinics. And by the way, the shrapnel hit my investigator. It was time so one would go off and then the next one would go off as soon as people came to investigate the first one. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know why he's in Bel Air, Maryland. Does he live there? Is he visiting? 
It's hard to believe he's a transient all the way from L.A., but let's think about the M.O. And another thing, Dr. Bethany Marshall, I had a gut feeling at the get-go. I didn't go after the boyfriend. There was just something about the fact that he had her children. They were out looking for her. He called 911. It just didn't, just didn't feel right, even though statistically it's the love object. But not in this case. So I'm glad we didn't put the nail in his coffin, right? That's right. Nancy, there's something about the brutality of the crime that tells me that sexual excitement and inflicting harm were a part of the MO. And in terms of why this trail, why near an apartment building, why near a brewery and, and everything you're describing, I have a theory that he is a serial killer in the making. Yeah, well, maybe he's already a serial killer and there are multiple victims, you know, in the pathway between the two crimes. But if he's a serial killer in the making, his his choice of the mom pa trail is going to be um, influenced by the victim profile, like who he's fishing for. Who is he on the hunt for? He's on the hunt for young women. The, if the first victim was a very young girl, you know, he could be a pedophile, that that would be a part of his multiple perversions. Uh, uh, and also that he women who are vulnerable, women who are on their are separated from family members or loved ones. I think you said on their phone. Did you say on their phone? On their own. On, on their, their own. own. And I, I think that Rachel may have had earbuds in. I don't know that yet, but we believe that may have happened. Go ahead. Well, unsuspecting victims, right? And also this guy is pretty brave. I mean, the fact that he accosted a girl as a part of a home invasion tells me that he's desperate. He's desperate to kill. He's desperate to to inflict cruelty while sex, sexually accosting a victim. And this desperation may have driven him to the Mon Pa Trail, where it's very secluded. There are places where he could hide. And there are easy weapons. He, you know, he bashed her face in with a rock. So he didn't have to go and buy a gun. He didn't have to go get a knife. He didn't have to do anything like that. He didn't have to put a big effort into it. All he had to do was hide along the trail and wait, wait for Rachel Morin to come by. So, so that, to me, speaks of a certain type of desperation. Nancy, if, hey. if, if I can, I, I, did, I did want to say that, you know, we, again, we haven't released anything other than saying it was a violent attack um, as far as the specifics of how Rachel's life was taken. But um, you, you talked, you know, the, the trail is very popular. It goes by a lot of um, different condos, buildings, couple of house, housing areas. Um, I don't know. I, I've said on some of the interviews I've done, my my backyard actually hits a portion of the mom pa trail. So we've always considered it a very safe place. Um, but uh, again, it has very uh, secluded areas along it. So, you know, it's, a place that they could hide. Uh, but this this individual, I can tell you, although I won't go into the specifics about how her life was taken, uh, other than the general saying it was very violent, this guy has an absolute disregard for human life. And I, I think he demonstrated that uh, in what I know of L.A. and, and uh, obviously in the homicide here. So, yeah, talk about is he is he a serial killer or is he becoming one? He certainly has no no care in the world for the, the value of a human life. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
Guys, joining me right now is a very well-known medical examiner joining us out of the state of Florida, Dr. Tim Gallagher. I wanted him to hear the analysis before he weighs in. Lecturer, University of Florida Medical School Forensic Medicine and the founder of the International Forensic Medicine Death Investigation Conference. He founded that, a true expert in his field. Dr. Gallagher, thank you for being with us. Dr. Gallagher, the sheriff is neither confirming nor denying that Rachel Morin was bludgeoned. We have also heard reports, not from him, that she was naked. A naked lady lying out on a trail tells me she was sex assaulted. I'm curious how often you see bludgeoning cases. Now, I'm not saying that's her COD, cause of death, which I want to also ask you, even if she was bludgeoned, would you still be able to determine if she was, for instance, asphyxiated? Just because she's been hit in the head with the rock, if she was. And that's based on alleged eyewitness accounts. But the bludgeoning, the bludgeoning, I find that peculiar. And I wonder if the female victim in L.A. was beaten about the face. We don't know that. They seem very much opportunistic. But what do you make of the bludgeoning? And can you get a different cause of death, Dr. Gallagher? Uh, good points, Nancy. Um Typically, the bludgeoning would be if the offender needs the victim to uh, become um, unresponsive very quickly. You know, if, the, if a, a strangulation can take about three or four minutes to complete and to be on this popular trail for three or four minutes uh, strangling somebody, you know, you would definitely get a lot of attention. But the bludgeoning, uh, and I'm going to assume here uh, possible skull fractures or um, an injury that would incapacitate the person instantaneously would be more advantageous, you know, to his MO, to sexually offending on the victim, you know, and then uh, leaving very quickly before other people can come by and identify the scene. So uh, when we do the autopsy, these are things that we look for. We look for the skull fractures, the brain injuries, the internal bleeding that is representative of the blunt force trauma. We also have to look at the neck area, which is the most common area for strangulation, and look at the muscles, look at the windpipe, look at the blood vessels that are in there, and see if they have linear patterns of uh, hemorrhage or linear, linear patterns of damage on them, which would be representative of a strangulation. But we, we need to keep in mind that strangulation does take three, possibly four minutes to complete, and it certainly would expose them for a long time on the trail. So bludgeoning uh, would render the person um, unconscious instantaneously, and then uh, then the offender would be able to enact his M.O. Wow. Well, Nancy, that was a lot, a lot of information. Is this Sheriff Gaylor? No, th this is Vince. So go ahead, Vincent. Saturday, I had the opportunity to walk that trail. They had a 5K in honor of Rachel. I actually walked with her sister, Rebecca. Uh, it was part of my story for the day. But as the ex-cop and private investigator, there were parts of the trail where I was literally thinking, wow, he could have lied in wait right here. It's very secluded could have done what he had to do. He actually could have taken three or four minutes to do whatever he had to do with Rachel because there were parts of that trail, Nancy, during that 5K where 
I was just thinking, man, he could have come from here. It backs up to a road at certain parts. He could have parked the car. It goes by a farmer's market. He could have parked across the street. I mean, it's very secluded over in that area. So there are plenty of opportunities for him to have done something there. But I want to go back to something you said earlier, Nancy, about Delphi and the guy likely not knowing the trail. I'll be honest. I've been living in the Baltimore area for almost a year. I had never heard of the Ma and Pa Trail until two weeks ago when Rachel went missing and her body was found. So the investigator in me tells me this guy knew about this trail because when I think of Los Angeles and don't get get offended by this, Sheriff Gaylor, when I think of Los Angeles and I think of Maryland, I don't think Hartford County. Most people think Baltimore, Annapolis, Aberdeen. So that tells me this guy may have known the area and known where that trail was. I agree with you 100%, Vince. This is not, you know, um, we're, we're a quiet, you know, community uh, about 30 minutes north of Baltimore and, you know, uh, not known for known for low crime and, and a safe safe community. So yeah, it's not generally where we have stuff like this, but not generally if you're, if you're going around the country, you kind of have to explain where it is in relation to Baltimore because people just don't know where we're located. You know what's interesting, Sheriff? Geller, everybody jump in. Jessica Garth, this is right up your alley. In the L.A. case, uh, where we get, we believe, the killer's DNA. I'm looking at the video over and over and over. Somebody follows him to the door, and they shut the door behind him. I'm not sure who that is, but it looks like a female hand shutting the door behind him. That victim lived. This victim did not. I'm curious about the differences in the attacks, the method of operation, Sheriff Geller. What do you make of it? No, again, it's something that a lot of people have brought to our attention that, you know, we, we know is there. We know that, you know, there, there's an arm there that somebody closes the door behind the suspect leaving. Um, and again, it's not what you would expect, not what a, a seasoned police officer would expect someone leaving the scene of a uh, crime, you know, the, the home invasion and an assault to be casually walking out with his clothes tucked under his arm, um, you know, and, and the door being shut behind him. Uh, but, you know, our, our investigators continue to work the case hard to try to make sense of what doesn't make sense uh, by appearances. And hopefully, you know, the investigation um, will explain all of those things out in time but the, the main thing that's needed at this point is figuring out who this guy is. Is that victim a minor? Was she a minor at the time of the attack, Sheriff, in L.A.? Yes. yes. So, you know, think about that. Attacking a minor, I could easily see a minor not really knowing what to do after a rape or a sex assault or an ag assault and walking walking to the door and shutting it in complete Astoundment and confusion. What about it, Jessica Garth? There's a big difference in a grown lady like Rachel Morin, who's 37, and a girl, a minor girl that's attacked. 100% agree. I mean, when I saw that video and, and I saw that he had been um, essentially walked out of the house, a, a few things occurred to me. And of course, it's it's speculation. But number one, if this is a, a minor victim, which I am assuming since her name um, hasn't been released, then and it was in her own home. I mean, where is she going to run to for safety? She's in the safest place that she knows. So I think at some point, it's just a matter of um, staying alive in that situation. If this is a grown man in her home, she's not going to fight back. She's not going to create a fuss. She's going to get out of the situation as safely as she can. 
Um, so, you know, if he is making moves to leave the home or if she said something like, oh, my parents are going to come home. You have to get out of here and he's leaving. She's just going to let him leave and she's going to close that door and, and I'm sure lock it immediately um, behind him. And the second thing I thought was that if, even if it were a grown woman, um, you know, playing along or going along with somebody who's assaulting you is one method to survive a violent attack like this. You're right. Rachel Morin may have fought back and this young girl didn't or couldn't. Dr. Monty Miller joining us from Forensic DNA Experts. What's your analysis of what we know right now? Well, I think that, um, you know, we have the guy's DNA. And so we're going to be able to identify the guy at some point. Like, like you know, other people have mentioned, he's probably going to turn out to be a serial killer or something similar or certainly has no problem killing people and raping people and having, you know, any kind of issues. So, the guy's going to continue to do these things. We're going to continue to find his DNA um, until we find out who he is, until we identify him and put him in jail. I'm curious to find out if his DNA pops up anywhere else in the country or just along this stretch. Guys, the tip line is toll free, 888-540-8477. Repeat, one 888 we want justice not only for Mama Five, Rachel Morin, but for her children that have now been split up. Their family has been broken apart forever. Goodbye, friend.